liquid was coming down in a stream onto the floor between my legs. And I, it took me moments to realize what was happening. What, what, what took me moments to realize what was happening was that all of the sweat had pooled up inside on my chest. And I have a hairy chest. So all the sweat was pulled up in there, being it was trapped there by the silicone breastplate. And then when I lifted up, it all came out at once. It looked like my water broke or I peed on the floor. And Della was right there and it was, it was insane. I, that was one of the craziest things. Oh my God, hi Cynthia, how are you today? I am feeling sassy, I'm fine, and let's rock this boat. Lucy, oh my God, how are you? Fantasy come reality, especially since I'm the goddamn devil. I bet you don't know this, but you were the first person in the LGBTQ plus community to ever give me a hug and welcome me into this community. When I first met you, on the first night that I went to After Dark, where Della introduced me to you. For real? That is right. It oh, was wow. on February 7th, 2001, or 21, <laughs> where, I know, it's just because it's actually two years ago tonight that I met you, and yeah, I was, I looked a little different, and I, um, I think I did too. <laughs> well, it was, it was so nice to meet you, and because of that community, I began to explore drag, and through that, I saw myself in a way that I never thought that I could see myself. And that opened my eyes to uh, who I really was. And because of that, I explored my gender and I came to terms with who I was. And now we're here on a podcast and that's what I created. And I'm super excited now, two years later, to to sit with you on the show and learn all about you. Oh, I love that. We won't be sitting on you, though, but we will be sitting with you. Oh, OK, darn. Well. I'll take a little, take anything. Okay, you pause for just one second. Walk in the Valley of Darkness as we learn more <laughs> about you. I, I guess. Do tell. Don't don't be the, don't, don't be so secretive and mysterious. That only works in books. Oh, that's true. Um, AJ, you mm -hmm. are Miss Miss After Dark, right? That's the that's the club up there in Fort Wayne. Yes, I'm the current you, reigning Miss After Dark. Oh my God! And you go by the name. Tilda, Tilda Whirl, right? That's right, Tilda Whirl. Oh my god, I love that. Your favorite that. carnivore I, ride. <laughs> oh, I, I voted for you in the Indiana Drag Awards. Oh, did you? Oh. Yep, but you. I voted. Yup, yup. So I'm super excited. I can't wait to have that, uh, to experience that event in Fort Wayne. It'll be absolutely thrilling to experience oh, a, I agree. an award show all put together like they do in Hollywood, but for our community and people mm -hmm. that we know. So it's been I'm, very exciting. I'm, oh my God, I can't help me. So, <sighs> so now um, you do drag story hour, am I correct? At local have, libraries? Yes. You have? I have, yes. Have you experienced any backlash uh, in, in, in as of late because of that? Well, I mean, this was, I guess, over a year ago at this point, maybe it was almost two years, about a year and a half ago, let's say. I did um, a drag story hour at a local university, our Indi our local uh, Purdue uh, University, and um, the main college on their Facebook posted a picture of me and another drag queen. Um, you know, we had the storybooks in our hands, we were reading, and there was, you know, kids sitting in front of us, and um, the main, so that was shared to a lot of people, and it got so many comments, and so many, there was, you know, I kind of so many positive comments and then also so many negative comments and so that i remember getting a lot of um of press for that 
and I've done it a few times since then. Um, and I, I mean, I kind of, I, I quite honestly quite enjoyed even the negative comments because then I got to go in and sort of troll them in the replies. Trolling is the best therapy. Literally. I, cause I would get on, I, I would be on the, my tilde Facebook and people would be on there on there being like, Oh, I'm going to vomit. And I'd said, okay, my makeup doesn't look that bad. Like that kind of thing. Just through like, if you're going to come on this and, and be negative then oh, be, I ready, like be ready for the troll. Oh, I'm going to vomit. Well then don't deep throat me so much. Ah, uh, see to the back of your throat. There you go. Oh, at least not some, yet. Some more training. Oh, I'm just a professional troll. It's okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I love that. I got I love your coffee cup there. My coffee cup. I got this at the Goodwill, probably from an eighth grader. It says be kind. Oh, I love I love that. <laughs> I, I, I just got one at um Goodwill a few weeks ago. It was just a black coffee mug and it just says daddy <laughs> on the front. And I said, I don't know whose this was, but it's mine now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you have an office job? Do you have to bring that in? Um, I I do have a, a job where I go into like a I I work at a school. I I have not brought it in. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we don't do sexualizing stuff in front of children, so no. I feel like I would never bring no. that to school either. Mm-mm. I'm like an office worker job, you mm-hmm. know, like next in a, to somebody in a cubicle, and then you can mm-hmm. be like with your <laughs> and they're like, "Who's daddy?" and you'd be like, "You can call me daddy." Do you have any concern about speaking and then like, you know, with the school, is that, is that an issue being out there publicly, openly as who you are and, and speaking with community, you know, on podcast interviews, mm-hmm. shows, is that, is that a fear that you have with your, with your career there? Um, Honestly, no, not really. So at, at the school that I work for, given that it is Indiana and everything, um, it, I would say it's a pretty open-minded, pretty liberal school. Um, I am not the only drag performer that works at my school. Um, and definitely not the only LGBTQ plus uh, teacher there. There's like at least four or five of us. So I'm fortunate in the sense that I've never been worried that who I was or who I am is going to negatively affect my job. And throughout you know, my whole life, you know, in my professional career, at least, I've always just been very forthcoming with who I am and what I do. And I've, I've found that that has brought me some success because if you kind of just, if you get ahead of it, then it, it normally turns out better than if I had tried to, I don't know. And not everyone's in the same situation. So I understand that, but I just, you know, from the very beginning, I've been like, this is who I am. This is, and then if students ask questions about it, I'm very honest with them too. So, so what's the conversation going on, you know, among the teachers um, beyond just the, the LGBTQ community that work there? What's the conversation like knowing or having um, many states adamantly passing legislation about banning uh, mm-hmm. this any any sort of education and, and, and trying to to combat to combat that to the community's uh, conversation? Mm-hmm. I get the sense that there is some there's a sense of sort of fear about what could happen, especially because we see what's happening in Florida and Texas. And, you know, it's not here yet, but we know how we know our Indiana lawmakers. And so it to me, it feels almost like a ticking clock. So, you know, there there is a sense that there there is some fear that that some of those sort of regressive ideologies or policies may make their way. But 
fortunately so far we've been doing okay in indiana we're not the embarrassment of the united states anymore at least let me ask you um oh go ahead lucy oh no i said for now i was making it for now i mean yeah i the, that that other shoe could fall anytime. I'm totally aware of that. But other states are are doing a decent job of making us look okay. Yeah, they they took a look at y'all and were like, "Hold my beer or my <laughs> blue ribbon <laughs> or my meth pipe." In the case of like <laughs> most red states. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now let me ask you. Um, now I know this is this is a question that you probably get asked often, or is a conversation that is being heard all across the country. But I would just like to hear it from an educator that is in our community that has uh, people like us in the in the system, the education system. What is it that is being taught to to at least your grade level? Not and I'm not trying to say there's anything. I'm just curious exactly what it is so that our listeners can get an understanding of what's actually happening so that when the anti-trans and LGBTQ narrative is pushed by right-wing pundits, we will know what's actually happening and hear it from an actual educator. Well, as far as I'm concerned, and I don't speak for everyone, I've never claimed to speak for everyone or an entire group. I can only speak for myself. But what I teach for my students, and I'm, I'm a high school teacher, so I teach 9 through 12, and I'm the drama teacher, so it's not one of necessarily the core subjects, but I'm always just teaching kind of what's in their world. And, you know, for my subject, we cover a lot of different topics. You know, we read plays, we do scenes, we build things, we design things. So for me, it's about expanding their minds, expanding their creativity, however that comes forward. And if they're reading plays or if they pick a scene that has you know, an LGBTQ plus theme or character, you know, I, I've never fought them on that, just like with any controversial issue, because that is how, like, that. that's what kids respond to. And I've always felt that I was safe if I didn't necessarily bring it up. You know, if I say, go find a scene or go find a play or go find a, something like this, they, what they bring back is then what we talk about. They open the door and then the conversation begins. And I think what I do think is an, as a false narrative that's being pushed is that teachers bring these things up to try to quote brainwash them. Listen, if teachers could brainwash students into doing anything, they would start by having them turn in all of their assignments, sit in their correct desk, be quiet, and bring them uh, coffee every day. Not, and an apple, because you're an apple. They would not start with mm-hmm. making with convincing them to live a certain lifestyle. Absolutely not. Right. That's what I, I feel that like. That's like the the crux of it is like if I could brainwash someone to do something, it would definitely not be to live, you know become part of the gay or the trans. Mm. It would be like okay, um, I'm gonna teach you this skill that you don't have because a I'm a teacher, b mm-hmm. like you're a child and right. you're gonna need to know how to like do taxes as an adult, <laughs> like something well, that's I- useful. Well, I can only imagine um, trying to get high school students together is like uh, herding cats. Yeah, Um, absolutely. I wish I was herding cats most of the time, you know? (laughs) Could you you imagine, like, being able to brainwash them to understand that scholarships are important so they don't have to go into the military or pull in lots of debt? Like, yeah, I mean, real things. mm Mm-hmm. 
Besides, we all know, it's once you hit college, you get brainwashed into being gay. Everybody knows that. Right. I mean, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like suddenly you're around all these other hot people and you're now an adult and you're like, hey. I, You know, I watch many of them. I've seen many students in my day. You know, I've, I've taught high school for many years now, so I've seen many students right as they're about to make their way to college and I just look at some of them and I say your life is about to change so drastically <laughs> in the next six months you have no idea what the, what's about to hit you okay first of all I gotta say you look great for someone who teaches high school all right oh all right because well, let's be honest because high school teaching high school does age you physically you know I've heard that um but I always tell my I tell my kids my students because you know I I don't have any children and they say so what like, Mr. Lorenzini, why, do you have any kids? I say, no, I got 150 of you that I need to take care of. But I'm done with you at, you know, 3.30. So I'm good. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, so. Not, you gotta use the, do you know why chefs don't cook when they go home? Because they're already cooking all day. Why would I want to mm-hmm. go children? I have 120 of y'all throughout the day. And I love right. you eat. But, you know. Exactly. I need that time. Yeah. You need that decompression, you know? Mm-hmm. What made you decide to become a teacher? Well, in college, so I went to college um, with the in, with in my mind, I was going to be a, a performance major. I was going to be like an actor or singer or something like that. And when I kind of, you know, I was out of high school. Everyone can be a hit in their own high school. I think you know this is. I thought it was going to. I was just going to be smooth sailing. I'm like, I'm amazing. I'm going to go do it. What it what. Uh, what I found out when I got there was that not only are there so, so many talented people and it is such a like struggle to get anywhere in that, in that sort of career, um, despite how fulfilling it can be. But I was sort of introduced to this sort of best of both worlds situation where they had all of the, the majors up there with representatives. And one of them was a theater education uh, pathway uh, degree. And I had never even considered that. And I thought, well, I like, you know, I like teaching and I like that sort of structured environment um, in, in its own way. So I kind of looked into that. And when I started doing taking those classes and working on those workshops and working with the kids where I went to college, where we would, you know, I would direct some of their local youth shows. It just totally was something I didn't even realize I would be good at, but evidently was something that that was a good match for me. So it was sort of a, once I got into college that I realized, but it wasn't my initial intention. I noticed that um, you, as well as many guests, always leave off um, world domination as one of the things that they would like to go to college for. So I completely, <laughs> I completely finish. And like at a young age, when they ask you, do you want what do you want to be when you grow up? It's either going to be teacher, astronaut, definitely not cop ever, uh, firefighter. <laughs> for me, it was world domination. Unfortunately, they don't have any degrees in that. I know, at least not not where I went to college, at least. Are you seeing um, any sort of bullying in the halls? Is that something that's happening a lot in your school? You know, I do see it. Um, and there's I there's not really, like, a consistent trend, I guess. Um, like, it's not, like, I wouldn't say, like, because there are, in my school, there are many students who fall on the LGBTQ plus spectrum one way or another. And... What I find interesting is that I don't see that group as being um, particularly bullied, like 
specifically, if that makes sense. Like I see a lot of just in it, on a, on a sliding scale of in intensity. Um, it's not as as bad as when I was in high school. I will say so. I do think that overall there's improvement. Um, but to me that that that's a despite everything I just said, I think that's a good sign that I don't see that group as being particularly singled out. Um, not that any bullying at all is good, of course, but I, I see the I see a, a positive trend, a positive progression. Now what's the difference in like what kind of bullying is happening in 2023 compared to the bullying that you experienced? and mm -hmm. the experiences that we had in the early 2010s and mm -hmm. earlier what, what 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 how is bullying now what does that consist of mm -hmm. well the big difference and this will not be surprising at all is that the the bullying has almost moved where it takes place right so whereas you know back in my day or even earlier you would it would have happened there you know in the classroom in the hallway at the school it's now it's now on the phones or on social media or online so it can be hard you know I'll, I'll hear students talking about like oh this person posted about this or this person put this on their story about me blah 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 so that is a little more difficult to to track or to see right because it's not happening right in front of you it's well it's on here oh now it's deleted and so but i swear i saw this and this it, it it's a little more complex right what um Straight how do you how do you combat that, you know, as, as teachers? How do you deal with social media as educators now in 2023? Well, I really just try my best to, when I have discussions about this with the kids, to be like, to, to, to really emphasize responsibility and how your digital footprint stays with you in many ways and how, you know, you got to be careful because, you know, you have to be, you have to be able to stand by what you put out there um, because, you know, we've seen countless situations where people lost out on jobs or careers or opportunities because they weren't thinking and they just put something out there that, that they didn't consider, right? That was maybe innocuous to them, but was not okay. Um, and so, you know, digital citizenship is a big component of something that we that, that every school I've worked at has put an emphasis on. Because people have a lot of bravery behind a keyboard and behind a screen. A lot more bravery, well, bravery is maybe not the right word, but a lot more like they're willing to do things they wouldn't do in real life because there's a sense of anonymity about it. Yeah, there have been studies on that. Mm -hmm. How once you're able to put that mask of anonymity on it, people tend to act a little different. But once you attach their name to it, they tend to be a lot closer to being wholesome, right. um, uh, you know, empathetic and stuff like that whereas once that anonymity appears it's like oh let me put some apathy just to be a troll yeah it's kind of it's kind of there's some weird sociopathic tendencies that come when you can be anonymous it's frightening in many ways well i think as someone who graduated through the public high school system uh we can all attest to some level of uh bullying and or you know, I don't know what other word, I guess bullying would probably be the uh, most, um, how can I say this? I just, we'll just go with bullying um, that we've suffered at one point or another. And at, have you ever used your own personal experiences to try to educate uh, the students of today? Well, yeah. I mean, because in terms of my experience, when I was in high school, it was 
it was even though it wasn't really that long ago i graduated in 2010 so in, in the grand scheme of things it was not that long ago but our society has changed so drastically in terms of the way we communicate and social media of course and you know where lgbtq plus people sort of you know are like the amount of people on that spectrum now is so different than it was when I was in high school. I was like one, I went to a pretty big high school. There was 550 people in my graduating class. And I was like one of four, like out people in the whole school. So that really, to me, that that's the biggest difference I see is that there's just so much that we've grown so much in that regard. And so I can kind of speak to a lot of these kids when they're going through these problems. I say, you know, you have to just sort of, you have to keep your strength as best you can. However it is that you've got to get through it, you've got to get through it because as corny as it sounds, like it does get better. You, you have your, the best is yet to come. And I've always felt that, you know, even in my own life, because why would I think anything else? You know, your best days are not behind you. They are ahead. And when you're in high school, you, that's almost 100% the case. And if it's not the case, then you have bigger things to worry about. If you're in high school and your best days are behind you, that's not a good sign. Um, so I think just giving some perspective to them on saying, you know, this is just a, a blip of your life. This is a small, a small community of a group that the same people you're around, the world is much bigger than what's right here. I think for kids, it's really hard for them to see past that because they don't mm -hmm. have perspective yet. I know oh, yeah. uh, when I was going to high school, cause I graduated in 2003 um was it yeah yeah 2003 yeah um it's just like you said i think there was maybe a total of three out people and mm -hmm. some got bullied mercilessly another was a part of a skating crew and he would just hit people with a skateboard like oh you said what and then you know they're not being wow mm -hmm. but some of the advice that we have that i have is definitely not something i would impart on children because mm -hmm. I know when I would ever, whenever somebody approached me with bullying, it was like, bet, I'm hitting you with a desk. I'm hitting mm -hmm. you with a <laughs> So, yeah, your best days are definitely ahead of you. Yeah, I always felt that, because the bullying that I received for being gay in high school, it wasn't, like, I was not, like, a bullied kid, I will say. Like, I may, you know, when, when, we, when we talk about things like this, I sort of feel like I don't know that I have a ton to... To, to a ton of to offer on it because I was not like a bullied kid in the in the traditional sense. Um, Does that mean bully? What? No. <laughs> I I mean I, here's the thing. I think I was lucky in the sense that my high school was big enough where everyone just kind of did their own thing. There wasn't like a hierarchy because like if you were the traditional popular kid, like there was so many other kids. You didn't you couldn't have like that level of hierarchy over everyone else because there was just too many people. So. The, everyone was sort of in their own groups and maybe there were hierarchies within the own groups so like i was in like the performing arts um theater kid click. yeah that was a theater kid so yeah. like in a sense i think i was probably on the higher i was in the, the higher level of that group you know what i'm saying because there was a lot of kids who did that and maybe i would I, I don't i don't i don't think i was a bully to anyone but if you what, did it was what, what? If you did, it was unintentional bullying. Sure. Um, but what I what I will say, the kind of bullying I may have experienced was was it was never physical, but it was a lot of, you know, talking behind the back of 
and and weirdly it was i think it was a lot more of the parents than it was the kids um which is so weird but could, i was in um high school show choir which if you are familiar at all is like it's like its own world it's absolutely crazy um i would say that you know that show dance moms i'm like that was like that was crazy but this should have been about they should have made made a show about the moms of show choir kids because that was even that was some crazy shit like i have never seen that show had nothing on some of the tantrums that these moms threw anyway and my mom was one of those uh um it was more like a you i knew that i was being talked about in certain ways but again i and i i literally said this exact quote to one of my students this week and they were talking about something like this i said giants do not concern themselves with the thoughts with the opinions or thoughts of ants that's true that's so true. and then i think it's uh, it's the I, and I, I can i connect that to that saying that that rupaul says which says if they're not paying your bills pay them no mind mm -hmm. <laughs> like nope well, I just want to switch gears. Uh, since I'm a performer, uh, I'm a drag queen. I do burlesque, and I've also done some acting. I want to have a little bit of fun since I actually have another fellow performer here with me. Mm -hmm. And I think what people should know is what goes on in the uh, dressing room behind a drag show. I think you can <laughs> attest to this, that people would pay great amounts of money mm -hmm. to buy a DVD copy of what goes on behind the stage Absolutely. okay because only in only in this context will you hear someone say where's my dick at can you please or hold my pants while i find my dick does it mm -hmm. make sense <laughs> because uh, me, as a no. we know how this goes because when you get a group of performers things come out that you normally don't see in the, you know, like on stage or mm -hmm. just outside that little dressing room area. Mm -hmm. And is, so can you tell yeah. us any, you know, uh, any funny or amazing stories that you've had behind the scenes that that you were grateful that wasn't turned into a DVD extra? Oh, my gosh. I could I could go on and on. Um. Well, the first thing that pe anyone who's listening who is not who does not perform or has not been in a, in a dressing room of a drag show should know is that I have never been in one that is, that that's too big. Right. You're always like, I feel like they're always like a little broom closet off to the side and you got to basically get yourself set up as best you can. And there's always so many that drag queens do not travel light. No, we so, don't. No. So it's always your three bags, but you only have room for really one. So they're all stacked up and you're moving your shit around. So that's always, so it's always tight quarters, which can always be fun. Um, the story I always think about, and Della, your previous guest, was actually present for this. She can attest to this. It is the craziest thing that I have ever, and it was me that was doing this. One of the craziest things I ever happened in a drag dressing room was, so I had just gotten a silicone breastplate, right? So, and it was one of those ones that fits on like a shirt. So I had to pull it over my head and I had to put my arms through it. And I was wearing it like a, like a sleeveless shirt, basically. Um, and I that was the first time I'd ever worn I was trying it out because I wanted to use it for a few things coming up specifically but I'm like let me give it a test run at the show tonight so I had it on and I had it on the whole night because I couldn't really take it on off because it was very tight around the neck and I didn't want to mess up my makeup or anything like that so you know I'm doing the night I'm doing my dances all that stuff sweating as you do and at the end of the night I'm in the dress I'm like okay, I'm going to take this off and it's like sticking to me because it's made of silicone or oh yeah, silicone latex and I'm I'm I open the front of it, 
with it, and it's like a full one. There's the boobs, and then there's like um like a little stomach area with like a little belly button on it, which goes about to my sternum because I'm very tall. Um, and this was made for someone much shorter than me. But I pull it up, and I wasn't even sure what was happening for a moment because it looked like I was peeing on the floor. Yeah, and I thought I can see where this was going, but I'll like please finish. Yes, and I literally the look on my face had to be complete incredulity because I thought. No, I'm not doing that. What's it? What? And Della was staring at me, and everyone in the in the. Am I frozen? Yeah, you're frozen. Can, can you hear me? I can we hear you. you. Yes. Okay. Well, that's weird. Uh oh, your image kind of went animated. That was a really cool image. Did you see that? Did you okay. see that? Yeah. yeah, that was cool. Like, that was weird. I, sorry. I'm sorry, but at the, it was just at the perfect time when you're telling your story that they I know like that. Yeah, I was like, I was terrible. No, okay, so because because li- liquid was coming down in a stream onto the floor between my legs, and I it took me moments to realize what was happening. It's wet. <laughs> um, what 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 took me moments to realize what was happening was that all of the sweat had pooled up inside on my chest, and I have a hairy chest, so all the sweat was pooled up in there, being. It was trapped there by the silicone breastplate. And then when I lifted up, it all came out at once. It looked like my water broke or I peed on the floor. That's the joke and, I was going to make. Yeah. I was like, and Della was right there. And it was it was insane. I, that was one of the craziest things. I've seen someone in, fall asleep mid-conversation talking to me. <laughs> which is, you know, and the, and some is just the, I've never seen a fight, like a like a real argument or fight in a drag dressing room but i've seen conversations that anyone outside who didn't know the the people involved would definitely think were like knockdown drag outs but that is just the way that a lot of queens um converse with each other well and i, my, and I love to sit there and watch well my uh equation to that who isn't part of you know or has been in the theater it's like wwe wrestling with you know how mm-hmm. their bravo is it, the same thing can be applied because you oh, know yeah. every every one of them, yeah, they might say whatever the script says, but afterwards they're at the bar grabbing beers, just like anyone oh, else. Oh yeah, WWE and professional wrestling is drag for straight people. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Look at the, look at the costumes. Yeah, the costumes, the drama. It's like it's and the, the crazy theatrics and the physicality. It is. They can't dance, so they don't try to you know jock y'all style too much, mm-hmm. but they pretend to fight. Yeah. What's the favorite, like, what's your most favorite song to perform? Oh, gosh. Well, um, I like to do, I'm a big fan of doing, like, the comedic sort of mixes. Like, I love doing, like, a spoken word element to um, my my numbers. So, I, and I like to kind of, I, I, I kind of create my own theme mixes sometimes. I do a number that people, that was the first number, the first song I ever did in drag. The first time I went out, and it was, um, it was, the the theme of it was Moira Rose from Schitt's Creek, and I walked out and I did one of her monologues, and then it went into a song, um, and I usually have the outfit where I kind of look like her, so I love doing that one. I do like a Cruella Deville number where I you know do where I kind of uh, do her quotes and then songs that go along with it. I do like Who Let the Dogs Out and a fat and fashion by Lady Gaga, like some of those things. I love doing those kind of numbers because I think that's really specific to me, and I also love to sing it. I I like to try to sing a song um, during the during the show too, depending on how I'm feeling that night. I wanted to ask you. Uh, so you graduated in 2010, so to be around May of 2010, I would mm-hmm. I would say. Mm-hmm. Now there was, and you were in show choir, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now 
And now, okay, you know where I'm going to go. You can I, go I do. Go ahead. But go ahead. Oh, my God. Okay. So, what was it like growing up and then being like a senior when a show on Fox came out that was portraying your life as a student in high school? What was that, what was that like to like end high school with this onset of like glee and this mm. fandom towards show choir? You know, it was so interesting because it, it it really opened my eyes to the fact that anything that is like a mainstream show or that's made, you know, for a general audience, it's not really going to be accurate to what it is. Like, I mean, we, me and my friends would, who were, we were all, you know, show choir kids, theater kids, we'd watch Glee and, you know, we would laugh at the fact that they would be like the night before their competition, they're handing out the sheet music for the song they're going to compete with the, the next day, right? So it's like those kind of things, that, you know, when you're a high school, when, when you're, young and you pick apart all of those the inconsistencies but what i was always so i mean and i watched the show i watched every episode um was it was so to see the the group m- multiple groups you know find like a performing arts and then also lgbtq plus teenagers like just to be represented in that way on a show was pretty revolutionary um despite all of the issues that show had and it not like it was even the first but like because you know the new dawson's creek had happened and you know will and grace was on before any any of that and you know you can go back and find examples but i know that one hit in the in a the culture in a way that just was pretty unique i think and it, it's so interesting to me how you, like that that show like i try to think of like something similar to it like that show would definitely not be on tv it would be like on a streaming service that had have to be on netflix to have the sort of impact that it has now because it just hit that perfect cultural zeitgeist of like here's like these crazy stories but also we're putting out covers of the most popular song and i think that the show was unhinged in a way that kept conversation going like they'd be like do you believe what they're doing this week like <laughs> so anyway to sum that up to answer really answer your question it was very it was sort of it, it was kind of cool. And I think that that show maybe played a bigger role in how much bigger performing arts is in high school today. And also, like, it was it started a, a trend of that has now led to something I mentioned earlier, which is how many more kids themselves on the LGBTQ plus spectrum than there were in my day. And I'm, I'm not saying, of course, it was the only thing, but I think it played a role. Two questions. What were the performances that you did in require anything mm-hmm. like the ones portrayed on Glee? No, not what I did. Now, so when I was in high school and where we, I was in show choir, we had like 40 people in it. And we would work from like August and the competitions were like in January. So we'd be working on this one five song set for like the entire year. And that was when we went on and competed with. So that and that's kind of what I talk about. It was really funny how they'd like pull out a thing and they'd be perfect at it the first time, of course. And they'd be like, oh, our competition's tomorrow. We still got to pick our songs. Like, so that was something that always stood out to me. So it was not very similar. But when I went, when I was in college, I was in a singing group that was a little closer to maybe what they do was smaller. You know, we didn't spend as much time per song. We would kind of get them ready maybe the week leading up or maybe we'd use a couple weeks. So that was a little closer. Um, But I understand that you can't have a show where they're working on the same songs for six months. So Mm -hmm. it it was, there, there were some things that were similar, like, you know the, the the dramatic personalities had some similarities to it but in terms of what we were actually doing um that's an idea that was a, definitely a very idealized version what was your favorite song to perform in show choir oh gosh well when i was in um when i was in a senior in high school we had this our closing number of our show was always so much fun we had we did the song can you feel it which i believe is by the jackson five and we had a whole thing where we did like us like we like stomped like for like a like a port like for like an interlude of it and it was just very i mean i maybe it's because i was a senior at that point i really feel like 
was doing and it was like this is my moment um but that was always so much fun and we had like it was we did all the bells and whistles there was like fog blasting out the sides of the risers and you know the fabulous outfits that were definitely i'm like show choir was my introduction to camp and i didn't even realize it like just over the top people these these young kids just getting so into this performance taking it so seriously and it's so silly in its essence right like you're singing and dancing to whatever these like you know pop songs and it's we're all so serious about it you're also serious about you're basically making kids bop you know literally <laughs> i remember we, when we would have to do songs and we would have to edit them because of the cursing yeah it was it was <laughs> so kids bop <laughs> Yeah, they're like we're the best kids pop band ever and we would all be cheering at the at the awards ceremony and take uh but you know as silly as that is it it i i do tell my students now i say it's good to take things seriously even if they're frivolous you have like it's good to be passionate about something and we really were i like to point out too because like people will, will be they'll they'll kind of be upset when they see somebody taking something like that serious but it's like What's the difference between people taking a Glee thing serious as opposed to, like, football? Absolutely. The Glee one is you exercising creativity. It's still athletic. Mm -hmm. Let's face it, dancing is not an easy thing. No. You're learning how to socialize better and work as a team. You're doing all the same stuff that you would do in football. The only difference is is you don't have to worry about horrible traumatic brain injuries. Exactly. (laughs) One's making kid pop songs, the other's pretending to play like football or mm. pretending to play NFL. Like mm-hmm. so many things in life are not that serious. Like there are some serious things that we go through, but so much of life we take so seriously. I, and... I never take life seriously because you'll never get out of it alive. Right. And what I tell you, so you know, as an arts teacher, of a teacher of the performing arts, I do get the question of like, so when are they going to use this in real life? And when are like like why is why I have to defend my position a lot. Like why is what why is your subject matter? Why do we need that? And I always say the same thing. I say because learning about theater is learning how to live. It's taking all of the the elements that you need to survive in this world and experiencing them. You learn how to it's learning how to live a life. And it opens your mind to the world and it lets you understand people that aren't you and people that are not like you. And it just, it broadens your perspective. And I think that's more, that's just as, if not more important than so many other things that we're taught. Well, then there's a, there's an aspect to performance that is storytelling. And exactly. I know a lot of people don't like to recognize it, but that storytelling is actually another way that we learn and grow. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people will say things like, oh, I'd, I've never done this, but I'll know how to do that. And the reason that mm-hmm. they think they know how to do that is because of what they've learned from storytelling through any medium, plays, mm-hmm. films, music, anything, books. It's like, it's very integral to like learning. And so you're also learning not only, oh, you know, all that stuff I'd said before, but you're also learning about other cultures too. Like we're br- mm-hmm. bringing this play that's at a period piece from XYZ or doing a performance on it you're bringing mm-hmm. that into that or mm-hmm. we're, we're doing this music set. This is something that was very important at that time. Well, why was it very important at that time? Well, you see, this was the historical background behind it. Mm-hmm. You're exactly right. And, and I mean, and- hmm? oh, I was gonna say, theater is the, is one of the most effective teaching tools. 
think about how many people in in our country now know the entire history of Alexander Hamilton's life and, you know, the founding fathers and all that. They didn't know it before. And why do you think that is? Right? Like there's okay. and that and that's just one example. Oh, there's there's several. How how many people can you like just take like regular fictional characters who've never existed and you can see how people have related to that and deep dived into these fictional characters, but they won't know like a, a, a an actual like real person or whatnot. Somebody mm -hmm. dropped straight from whatever, plucked from history solely because nothing was written about that person or there's no plays or no media behind that person that mm -hmm. teaches morals and stories. Yeah, theater makes you so much more well-spoken and, and it expands your vocabulary like to an, a crazy amount. I mean, and if they still don't understand, you can say things like, don't you have to act when you talk to your boss? You have to act like you love your job. <laughs> and and public speaking, it's so yeah. good for public speaking. Oh, yeah. Like, to even talking in front of, like, a like a small group. I have kids who, like, who melt under the under the pressure of, I have to, like, talk to the class about something. Like, I'm like, you have to get up and tell us about this. And they're like, oh, I get, I get, I get so nervous. Now, bear in mind, something that I hadn't even considered before this year was that a lot of kids I have now, with their freshmen, they're 15 years old or they're 16 or whatever. The past three, four years for them have not been normal. They've missed a lot of development in that area and their socialization because, you know, of okay. the global pandemic so it's yeah. not it's not their fault but we have a lot of ground to catch up with a with a, with a very specific age group right now because they they for for two or three years have been doing what we're doing right now this is how they've been doing their classes they haven't had to be in a room with people they could be very anonymous and so now it's doing the hard work of having to drag them out and be like you're not anonymous anymore you're here be here with us so i got a, a question for you do mm -hmm. any of your students ask you about you know your uh let me see uh performances your drag performances uh off the uh you know when you're up um have you ever told your students about your drag performances let me just rephrase it like that so that's it's not really something that i bring up necessarily but if a student asks me or talks me about it that's you know i will i will talk to them about it um, I do talk to them about like my theatrical performances being a theater teacher, you know, I talk about, you know, and I had this experience doing this. Um, I actually did a drag show in here in town. It was like an all ages show. Um, a couple, well, let me think it was probably back in, it was like in October. Um, and I walked out and I had one of my students was sitting right in the front row and I'm like, Oh, hello. Thinking in my mind, I'm like, do they realize that's, does it, do they realize it's, they probably do. Right. I don't know. Um, it, when you're in a different situation, you know, and I look, you know, different than I would on a normal day. Um, but then the student came in the next day or they, well, that was on a, like a weekend. They came in on Monday and they were like, that was a really good show, Mr. Lawrence. And I'm like, oh, thanks. So, you know, it's again, if it comes up, it comes up. But I, you know, I like I, I give them the opportunity to bring it up. Each week on the Trans Narrative Podcast, we want to highlight a piece of the bigger stories that impact our lives, the laws and attitudes and cultures that can help or hinder us as transgender people in the United States. The stories that cisgender people want to tell for us or about us are going to be missing in critical details. They won't help us to clear up our perspective. We want to show how we've struggled, how we are struggling, and also how we will overcome. Oh, hello, my badass boy.
boys and badass babes. It's your favorite bad girl of the Black Hills, Virgo the Vixen, a.k.a. Cynthia Grace. And today on Capturing the Narrative, we are going to have a little drag story time. So come around me, my little badass boys and badass babes, as I tell you a story about Republicans. Now, what is a Republican, you ask? Well, a Republican is a little impish creature that's very grumpy and very mad. Why are they grumpy and mad, you ask? Well, the male Republicans have small penises, and the female Republicans have never had an orgasm before. So you see, that's why they're so mad. Anyways, in the Republican, uh, how can we say, kingdom, they have fantasies of one day going to the magical land of fascism, all right? In order to get to this land of fascism, the Republicans have declared a holy war against books. Now, you have to ask yourself, why would Republicans declare a holy war against books? And the answer is quite simple. Thinking actually causes their brain, I'm sorry, their brain to hurt. So when they actually start to think, their brain actually feels pain, and that's why they hate reading books. So let's talk about that for a moment. You see, they're using the uh, excuse that some of these books have sexually explicit material, or they talk about LGBTQ issues, or reference to LGBTQ individuals. Um, and these, um, like say laws, as they want to call them, are currently mainly focused in Florida, Missouri, Oklahoma, Texas, Tennessee, and Utah, are otherwise known as kingdoms of Republican control. As a side note, if you've ever seen the recent videos in Florida where they have libraries just basically almost completely empty except for a few books, that's because of the laws in Florida. Also, this is just my opinion, but there's a reason why Florida is shaped like a certain male body part. Anyways, let's go on. And like I said, some of the laws, because they want to ban explicit sexual, you know, or obscene material. Well, I hate to tell you this, guys, but the Bible, you know, your Republicans' little Bible, that has more sexual or graphic content than any one game, any one season of Game of Thrones, all right? And also, they don't want to mention the words critical race theory. Oh, my God. What is critical race theory? Okay, first of all, critical race theory is a graduate-level course in college. Republicans will ask, well, what's college? College is the next step after high school. Republicans will ask, well, what's high school? High school is the step school. Republicans, what's uh, middle school? That's that school after elementary school. So basically, after you get out of the sixth grade, I know for some of you, that's actually quite an accomplishment. There's other schools like middle school, then high school, and then college where you can learn a lot of things. I know that will cause your little brain to uh, explode, but that's where critical race theory is taught. 
All right, so gather around because I want to talk to you about a certain little Republican from the state, or should I say the magical kingdom of Oklahoma, all right? Or as I like to call it, the people who looked at Texas and said, you know what, we're cool, we don't need to go any further than where we're at. Anyways, in Oklahoma, there's a little Republican and his name is Kevin West. Mr. Kevin West does not like people a lot, especially drag queens. He really doesn't like us at all. In fact, he is producing some very nasty laws about drag queens. Now, for the record, in this law, I want to give you the definition. According to this law, he is proposing. This is what a drag queen is. A drag queen is basically a male or female performer who adopts a flamboyant or pod rock, excuse me, Podrick feminine persona with glamorous or exaggerated costume and makeup. Oh my God, that could be a lot of things, you know? I feel so. Uh, tell Cindy Lauper not to come to Oklahoma because she probably would uh, immediately get in, um, arrested. All right. Uh, don't tell Elvira to go there. She definitely would get arrested by this standard. All right. Because let's face it. Uh, this standard could also apply in a broader sense to trans individuals who may wear uh, too much makeup or maybe they wear hair piece that would not be considered normal hair. Let's continue. Let me read a, a, an excerpt from the law. It shall be unlawful for a person to engage in adult cabaret performance or to organize or to authorize the viewing of an adult cabaret performance on public property in a location where the provisions of this subjugation shall be convicted, be guilty of a felony by imprisonment in custody of the Department of Corrections and, and a loss and a term no less than 30 days and, and not exceeding two years. Fines can be uh, basically given, also says here, in the amount of no less than 500 and then no more than $20,000. Seriously, what does that mean when, um, and I'll go into it, what they mean by adult cabaret performance means uh, performance in a location other than adult cabaret that um, features topless dancers, go-go dancers, exotic dancers, strippers, drag queens, or other similar entertainers who provide entertainment that appeals to a sexual interest regardless whether or not the performance is for consideration. So basically, this law here is pretty broad in its definition. So, and this is the best part. I got to read this part because um, if this is done in the presence of a minor, that's the major thing. So if you're out in public and a minor sees you, uh, you know, you can be dressed up uh, extravagantly they can consider that uh, basically an adult cabaret performance and you can be arrested. That is the bill that's going on in Oklahoma. But here's the thing, though, my little badass boys and badass babies. He's not the only one. All right. We have laws similar, uh, similar in stature in Arizona, Arkansas, Missouri, Nebraska, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, West Virginia that have similar language to this bill here, all right? 
Now, I got to tell you about my own uh, little kingdom of South Dakota, where it is ruled by an evil little gnome called Krusty Gnome. I'm sorry, I meant Christy Gnome. Yes, that is her actual name. Go ahead and Google it if you don't believe me. All right. She has just signed a law, basically, which has banned trans, uh, not, can't say, not, excuse me, not trans, but drag queens from basically performing at state college. So I understand what that means. But if we take a look at some of the other states that are mentioned, Kansas, Florida, Georgia, Idaho, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, North Carolina, Idaho, Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, and West Virginia, and also Wyoming. These are all basically kingdoms of the Republicans or Republican-controlled legislations. So as long as they're controlling, they will always go after trans individuals or drag queens because, and I'm going to make this clear, because they view us as the enemy. And I don't know why, but I want to bring uh, that context with a, the context of the past, and that is referring back to Nazi Germany. Similar laws were passed against the Jewish people, uh, the LGBTQ community back then, uh, the uh, basically the Socialist Party, and gypsies. The same type of laws that were being passed then are basically being targeted towards us right now. So if we don't keep these uh, politicians in check, we will eventually see a very similar situation like Nazi Germany. And if you don't believe me, sit down and read the law that is being proposed in Oklahoma just for putting on a dress and performing drag. And the main thing is, you have to remember this law was to basically ban drag story time, which we're happily having here. So Kevin West, you can try to block me. Good luck. I would like to get your perspective on some things about what's going on in the political sphere, if that's okay. Can I ask you some, let me talk sure. a little politics. Okay. Sure. Well, I woke up this morning and I actually had to go to the restroom and I couldn't sleep for a second. So I turned on TikTok and lo and behold, Trump had uploaded a video to his Truth Social where he basically outright said that he was going to ban all gender affirming care if reelected, and I would I would like us to take a listen to that, and 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 just I, I it's important that that we hear that I, I'm not trying to promote it, but I think it's important that it's talked about and played briefly just so that we're aware of what's going on in the rhetoric that's being pushed by by the left because this here what trump says in his speech if you noticed early on his um his platform you know he has attacked the lgbtq plus community but he has never outright like come down so 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 hard did you hear that by the way it was now he looks like he's crapping himself where you got the camera frozen can you hear this about the nuclear family the there we go 
Okay, wonderful. Okay, so this is what, what we're hearing here is basically the accumulation of the last eight years of what the right has pushed and Trump now has taken, it's about a 14 minute speech, but this is only a minute. And he has basically taken all of that rhetoric, that entire narrative and put it on a pedestal and has presented it to us here in this. So let's, let's take a listen. As part of our new credentialing body for teachers, we will promote positive education about the nuclear family, the roles of mothers and fathers, and celebrating rather than erasing the things that make men and women different and unique. I will ask Congress to pass a bill establishing that the only genders recognized by the United States government are male and female, and they are assigned at birth. The bill will also make clear that Title IX prohibits men from participating in women's sports, and we will protect the rights of parents from being forced to allow their minor child to assume a gender which is new and an identity without the parent's consent. The identity will not be new, and it will not be without parental consent. No serious country should be telling its children that they were born with the wrong gender, a concept that was never heard of in all of human history. Nobody's ever heard of this, what's happening today. It was all when the radical left invented it just a few years ago. Under my leadership, this madness will end. Thank you very much. So that is um, the leading Republican uh, candidate for president for 2024. And we've heard that live there together uh, just right now. So um, let's take a moment of silence for the lost brain cells that we just lost. <laughs> that was absolutely, um, he goes on, that, uh, that was the very last part of it, but he goes into extreme detail. And he at one point said that he wanted to get gender affirming care banned for all ages. So it is no longer about the children. He flat out wants in a, a, a total ban. So it's been like this. I've known because as a black person before I was trans and before I came out as, uh, you know, pan slash by, I recognize there's a difference with the overlap to me. I'm okay with either. Um, I have noticed this for a hot minute. Like, it typically takes a while for the larger percentage of a minority group to to realize it. But, like, Black trans women have been saying this for a hot minute. Mm-hmm. All we need now is our bricks, so we can start a, a Pride Month Part 2. Well, I don't know where I want to begin on how inaccurate what he said. Uh, just if I exclude all the flammatory remarks out of his... Uh, just that little snippet. I want to point out that this has been going on since almost the beginning of time. There have been many cultures throughout history that have some form of trans individuals in their society, all right? And just because it's becoming more mainstream and more to the front does not mean that it's never existed. Well, you're... That they care about reality. These are the same people who refuse to listen to doctors. And, you know, like you're, you can't approach this from a logical standpoint. These people are illogical. They don't give a shit about reality. They only care about their emotions. Hence, them facts don't care about your feelings, even though the facts 
are against them. They don't care about reality. They don't live in a world where like logic makes sense. AJ, we normally ask some questions pertaining to who you are, what you've told us. Um, Caroline takes lots of notes, um, mainly like uh, she's Batwoman making the, um, what was the name of that arc where Batman takes down the other Justice Leaguers? I forget. Was it Tower of Babel? Tower of Babel, that was it. Mm. So don't be surprised if your biggest fears come along later at night and we, you know, use them against you. Um as we build our queer justice league um but yeah so normally one of the questions we like to ask is how far are you willing to go to see you know the fruition of your plans like you want to make the world a happier place Mm -hmm. what are you going to do outside of what you're already doing which is obviously a lot um to make this place a better place or to make this dirt ball a better place well i guess the way i'll answer that question is that I think one of the toughest things, and I see this as a teacher, I see how life can drag you down because the the world is an unforgiving place. And I see so many teachers much older than me who've been doing it, who've been in the game for a long time. And I just can see how the years have worn on them and how their perspective on life and on the world and on other people has really gone down and it's very nihilistic and I I get it I'm not to say that's not without its merits or without its reasoning but one of the things I always try to do is I try to really strive for a positive outlook on the world as hard as it can be because that can affect the people that I interact with and if I can produce a positive light and positive experiences for the people that I interact with, that's about as, that's, what more can I ask for? Yeah, you're basically making sure to put, you know, good out in the world that, like, even though the universe can be one cold, uncaring, apathetic bastard, it doesn't mean that we can't all band together and build a fire, you know? Like, it's a teamwork. Yeah, and we affect people in ways we never realize. Oh, yeah. The little things that we do, like, you ever think about, like, an experience you have with someone who you barely remember, but you remember something they said to you, they probably don't even remember that. Yes. So like, and I think about all of the students I've ever interacted with, the things I've said things to them, like, I wonder what they took away from that. I wonder what they remember about me. Do I even remember saying that? So So it's trying to be conscious of that to say that, to try to have positive influences on on everyone. I've literally been in that situation where somebody who has come up to me from like high school is like, Hey, it's been so long since I've seen you. I just want to say thank you for all the kindness that you showed me back in high school. And it's like 20 years later. And they're like, oh yeah, everything, like, you have no clue what that meant to me at a time when things were just so shitty. And I'm like, I don't even know this person's name. Okay, bad. A situation like that is why I'm here, I think, on this ah. on this podcast, right? Like, yeah, that's the point. A, an interaction like that. that I had um, has led to this. So you just never know. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I feel that the more you put out there, hopefully it does make a difference. Like, and I get some people are like, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, you know, go out and fix shit because it's like someone else made that issue. But it's like, you're never going to make the world a cleaner place without picking up someone else's trash. Bill Nye said that and mm-hmm. wholeheartedly agree. Mm-hmm. If you had one message that you would want to tell not just one group of people, but the entire spectrum across the world, what message would you send? Hmm. I think that I would say that the work that you put in 
is worth it. Any hard work that you put into something that you're passionate about will be worth it, even if it's just for your own satisfaction and to expand your own mind or your understanding of yourself. It may not, it may not go anywhere outside of just you, but that is worth it. And what do you feel like we can do as a community to build more empathetic bonds and, and create this sense of inclusion? Mm -hmm. We have to have conversations. We have to have open and honest dialogue between people. Um, the a lot of the problems that we have is because of insularity about people people being in an echo chamber of they're being told one thing when the reality is different but now their opinions and their and their preconceived notions that's what they're going off of right um and unfortunately i think we have a i think we have more way to go negatively before we get to a healing point and that's really unfortunate. Um, but I think listening to people, minding your own business. Like, I think so many things could be fixed if people just minded their business. Like, what, when, when you're educating with your students, how do you, or how would you um, inform them? Or I, I guess, how do you advance equity, inclusion, and diversity for our community? Right. Well, luckily, I teach a subject that is very easy to kind of go to everyone's strengths. The, the theater has so many things that people can do, you know, if they're great performers or if they're good at technical elements or if they're good at if they're artists and they love to design or, you know, if they're very, if they like to be physical. There's so many ways that you can do that. And I just like to remain open to them, you know. When at the beginning of my semester, I give them a sheet and I say, fill out this information about yourself. And it starts with, what is your name in the, in the computer? So that way I'll know when I look you up. But do you go by a different name? If so, what is that? Um, and, like, and then I have, you know, what are your pronouns? Circle one of the below or write in your own. Starting there, I at least have a basis of who I have, right? And I'm like, what is most, what, what are you, what worries you most about this class? Um, at least then I can understand where we all are. And that way I'll know how to proceed forward. Um, and I, I've had many experiences working with students with disabilities um, or, you know, of, of many different kinds, learning disabilities. I had a student once that was visually impaired who was blind, who couldn't see. That really had to make me think about how do I go about these lessons? I'm like, if we're watching a musical or watching something that they have to analyze, how is that going to be for this student who literally can't see it? You know, so I'm always learning, too. And I think that's I think it's very important to never stop learning. Some people get a lot of this insularity that we're seeing in in societies because people think at some point they stop and say, I know everything I need to know. When that's so damaging, you have to continue to keep your mind open and learn no matter your age or your level. Satya, thanks for being here with us today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Bad Girl of the Black Hills always loves to show up. Lucy stepped away, but I know she enjoyed being here, and she'll be here with us next week again. AJ Lorenzini, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us, being here with us today. Absolutely. Thank you.
the video pans over to me sitting on the only chair I could find, which was a toilet. The only video, or the only video, the only place I could sit down was a toilet. So there's me in all of my undergarments with my head pads and my fake stuffed bra and all that stuff. And I said, I, I point to her being out there being fabulous, collecting money and being amazing. I said, that's what people think drag is, but this is what it's really like. <laughs> Just, I looked like Gollum sitting on a toilet. This has been the Trans Narrative Podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to tap the notification button below to get updates on the newest episodes. And be sure to head over to YouTube for full interviews and behind-the-scenes content. Be sure to like and follow. For more details about the episode you just heard, make sure to go to the description linked below. Find us on Facebook, Apple, Google, Spotify, TikTok, and YouTube. Subscription for exclusive content available over at anchor.fm slash transnarrative. New episodes stream every Saturday, 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This episode of the Trans Narrative Podcast was brought to you by Anchor, the easiest way to upload a podcast. If you'd like to reach out, please email us at transnarrativepodcast at gmail.com. That's transnarrativepodcast at gmail.com. Today's episode was recorded on February 4th, 2023 via Zoom. Today's show was co-hosted by Caroline Penny, Cynthia Grace, and Lucy Balzano. Today's guest was AJ Lorenzini. Capturing narrative segment brought to you this week by Cynthia Grace. This episode was edited and produced by Caroline Penny. Research provided by Athena Promakis. Music provided by Infraction. Music titled Good Five. Capturing narrative segment music and the music you hear now are produced by Athena Promakis. This episode was brought to you by Anchor by Spotify. This episode is dedicated to Charles Miller. Charles Tula Miller, 83, died Monday, January 2nd, 2023, after a prolonged illness. They opened and owned Fort Wayne's first gay bar, Tulisa's, in April 1971. Della, a previous guest, is quoted saying this about Charles Miller. To be yourself unapologetically is a lesson she taught us all. Tula did drag in years prior to that during a time that she'd have to wear three pieces of male clothing or she'd get arrested. People of my generation and the generation after me and the people coming up now are all walking on the road she paved. There was not a lot of respect for the LGBTQI plus community. And that was incredibly important, even at the onset of Charles' career, just to make it a safe space so people could be themselves which is something that people couldn't be, Della says. As sad as I am that he passed away, he also lived as much an incredible life, 83 years on this earth making changes and breaking barriers that had never been seen before in Fort Wayne, doing things that one person shouldn't be able to do, yet he was still able to do it. And as much as sad that, and as much as it is sad that he is gone, I am grateful he lived. Delicious. This episode is dedicated to Charles Miller, Tula, and Caroline Penny. This is the Trans Narrative Podcast. Thank you for listening. <laughs>